0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, one of the things that Christ's focus on in his teaching um, on Tuesday of Holy Week is he speaks about the end of times. And we read about this in uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 7 and 8. This was read in the morning, veska prayers. He says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And a lot of times when we hear about Christ speaking about the end of the world, and we see the things that is happening in the world around us, and we see wars, and we see pestilences, and we see famines, and we see earthquakes and other natural disasters, then we begin to think that the time is near. And all throughout history, people have always been focusing on when is the end and many people trying to make predictions of the end, many people selling their belongings, many people um, you know, quitting their jobs and stopping to work. Actually, even in the New Testament, this was happening. Uh, the Thessalonians did this. They stopped working um, because they thought that the end of the world was imminent, um, as Christ said that the end was near. But something that we neglect sometimes or forget is that all of these signs of the end don't just reflect um, or are not just physical, um, but they're also symbolic in us and there's it's not just a physical end but we also have an end at the end of our lives and we also have an end in the sense that there is a spiritual or symbolic manifestation of all of these prophecies that christ has given so obviously the world has not ended yet and yet we see a lot of the spirit of what christ is speaking about already happening so we have to ask ourselves well, how can we prepare How can we prepare for this end? And what is it that we must do? And what are some of the signs of the end? So we're going to look in Mark chapter 13. In Mark chapter 13, Christ speaks in detail about all of these different signs of the end. And we can try to get a better understanding of what exactly we should be expecting at the end of the world. How do we see that these signs are approaching? And how do we accept these signs in a spiritual way, not just in a physical way only? So first we read that there's going to be deceptions deceptions at the end in mark 13 verses 5 and 6 it says and jesus answering them began to say take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying i am he and will deceive many so when when we hear about being deceived we think of okay there is a person okay because we are being deceived by a person he says take heed that no one deceive you deceives you and we know of the antichrist we think of the antichrist as this person who's going to come and make himself out to be jesus christ or god and many people are going to follow after him this is what the bible says but there is also a spiritual understanding that the bible speaks about he speaks about the spirit of the antichrist and even though maybe the antichrist himself has not come or at least we have not identified him as having come the spirit of the antichrist has come the spirit of the antichrist is already in the world we see it in the media, we see it in schools, we see it in the government, we see it in so many different places, the spirit that is rebellious against God, the spirit who tries to wipe away the existence of God or any mention of God in everywhere, that tries to poison the minds of all people into believing actually that we are gods unto ourselves. In First John chapter 4, it says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world." So this is the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is any spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and these spirits are many, uh, many, many people, many, many institutions do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and so in all of these people, all these institutions, there's the possibility of deception. And often the deception does not come overtly or directly, but it comes in a hidden and subtle and not so obvious way. Through the teachings, through the assumptions, through the ignoring of, of God. Simply by the desire of people to live independently of God, to not live according to his commands, to, to, to question. For instance, in most religion classes and universities around the country, in most Christian classes, they are anti-Christian many oftentimes the professor who is teaching this class is very anti-christian or has a very critical view of the bible does not believe the bible is authentic or the inspired word of god so if even in our schools even when people choose to take a christian class i actually advise people not to take christian classes because it will confuse them they are not actually teaching christianity they're teaching the history of christianity as seen from the minds of often godless people living today that want to refute it and want to discredit it And so we find many, many things that are being taught in universities that are deceptive, that under the guise and under the name of Christianity and teaching Christianity, what they're actually teaching is their own philosophy and what it is that they want the people to believe. So this is the spirit of the Antichrist, this this deceptive spirit that wants us to live as though God does not exist. Another sign of the end that Christ speaks about is wars and disasters. When he says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and troubles. So this can again be accounted for in a, in a physical way and also in a spiritual way. The physical way is in the Roman Empire. Okay, uh, The Roman Empire was in war before the destruction of the temple and the temple was destroyed and there are wars between nations that happen all the time okay so we can take this in a very in a very physical way okay but what is the spiritual way to say that there is going to be war and kingdom against kingdom this kingdom against kingdom is the kingdom of god and the kingdom of the devil that they are war with one another and this is why we have a spiritual war inside of us that is waging inside of us and so christ is reminding us that there will be war this is actually the more important war You know, in the end, whether we die in war or we die from old age or whichever way that we die, we're going to die. So it's not really doesn't matter so much the means by which we die. But the spiritual war that is waging inside of us, this is the most important war. And this is a war that we fight alone. You know, sometimes we focus so much on the group, on the community, on the body of Christ, on the church. But when it comes to my spiritual warfare, no one can fight this battle for me. It is not because my family or my brother or my sister or my parents or my children or whoever it might be, my friends, are spiritual. If they read the Bible, if they go to church, that doesn't help me. I am my own. I am judged on my own. And when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I will stand alone. And there will be no one there to argue my case because my case will be laid out open in front of Christ and he will be the judge. So this spiritual warfare that we fight now, is what he's referring to the nation will rise against nation And we know all along that there's been wars okay between nations all throughout through, since the beginning of time there's been wars against um, from nation against nation but the end has not come it is this internal spiritual warfare that is the most important for us he also says there will be persecution he says in verse 9 but watch out for yourselves for they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues why because of persecution, because of the faith that they proclaimed. When Christ is telling the apostles that they will deliver you up to councils because you proclaim the true faith, because you are saying, I, we believe in Christ, that we are his servants, that we follow him, and that we will be beaten for this. So there is, of course, this physical persecution that exists in the world. And we see it um, around the world. But there's also the spiritual persecution that we touched on a little bit yesterday. The people that attack our faith that make us feel that we are bigots, that we are the ones that are, that are judging others and not loving of other people. They make us to seem that we are outdated, that anyone who would believe that there is a God is like the same as a person who would believe that there is a tooth fairy, okay? that there is, there is just some mythical, fictional character that people invent. And just as we teach our children fairy tales, that is the same as believing in God. So this kind of um, attack on us even though it might not be physical in the sense that we are not being flogged or beaten but it is still an attack on us that is a psychological attack that is somehow causing us and many of many Christians to abandon their faith because they are being convinced by the world that their faith is unreasonable Christ also tells us about family divisions that will come he says now brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children uh, will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. He's saying that the faith will become so contentious that people will lose their lives if they hold fast to it. This brings us again and reminds us again of the very early Christianity, where in order for someone to believe in Christ, they had to be willing to put, you know, lay down their entire life. And this would cause divisions even between families. You know, maybe, maybe the thing that we we can endure is when we're being attacked from the outside. You know, when when some stranger is coming to attack me or some stranger is coming to persecute me or some stranger is criticizing me, maybe we can handle this. But when I'm being attacked and I'm being criticized and I'm being rebuked by my own family members, by those who are closest to me, this is what causes the greatest turmoil. And maybe this is what will cause us to abandon the faith. Maybe this is what was going to cause us to not be willing to accept Um, the word of God because of the pressure that I have um, from those people who are closest to me okay so it's not just from external factors and this is one of the signs that Christ said is there will be divisions in families brother will betray brother and 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 they will do this because of the faith They will do this because of the faith that that maybe because I believe that the, the people who are closest to me are going to abandon me because they're going to see that I am foolish and that there is nothing that I'm doing that makes sense to them Christ also speaks about the abomination of desolation in verse 14. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. This is one of the signs, the coming of the abomination of desolation. So what is this abomination of desolation? Again, we can consider it in two ways, the physical manifestation and the spiritual one the physical abomination of desolation, there's different opinions about how this actually came to be. Um, what was, um, w- w- how, how this prophecy was fulfilled. What was the fulfillment of this abomination of desolation? The first, we read about it in Daniel chapter 13. He, Daniel the prophet. He says, And they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Okay. So, um, one of the things that happened during the time of the Maccabees is the Romans, they put a statue of Zeus in the temple. And this, at the time, was called the Abomination of Desolation because they desecrated the, s- the temple with an idol. And so, it was seen that this was the fulfillment of the prophecy about the Abomination of Desolation. Okay, Also, the appearance of the Antichrist is also considered the abomination of desolation because he sets himself up against God. Or it's the Gentiles defiling the temple when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed in the year 70 AD and the temple was destroyed. This also is considered an abomination of desolation. So in many ways, we see what, where this abomination of desolation is standing up against God. But there is a spiritual, um, there is a spiritual fulfillment of this prophecy as well because we are the sanctuary of god in the new testament we are the place where the holy spirit dwells and so if i am defiled then i have defiled the house of god the place where god dwells has become defiled and so all of the things that defile us all the things that we fill our minds and our hearts and allow our senses to perceive that defile us as the sanctuary of god then this becomes to us the abomination of desolation and we see in our times now that sin is increasing We see that the accessibility of sin is increasing, that things that used to not be accessible um, to, to most people is now clearly available on TV and the Internet all the time, all day, all night. So many, many people falling into sin that physically could not have in the past simply because sin was not as accessible as it is today. And it's something that the church struggles with it's something that all people struggle with, is that sin has increased in the world and that we are being defiled. And when we become defiled as the sanctuary of God, the connection between us and God suffers. And we begin to feel a sense of abandonment from God, not because He actually has abandoned us, but we feel so. We feel estranged from Him because we cannot see Him as clearly. We cannot hear His voice as clearly. And so we begin to feel separated from Him. And this actually affects our faith. In turn, we begin to think, well, maybe God really isn't there. Maybe maybe God is impractical. Maybe God is not there for me, and so on. And we begin to turn to those things which we can understand with our minds. And we begin to forget those things maybe that are invisible and spiritual. So this abomination of desolation is definitely something that is happening in the world today. Christ also speaks about that we will lose our possessions. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains... Let him who was on the housetop not go down into his house, nor enter into anything out of his house, not enter to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Okay, so so again, there's a physical fulfillment of this prophecy, and there is a spiritual one. The physical one, he's saying what? That in order for us to be saved, we're going to have to escape and not give in to those who are persecuting us. Right? When this persecution comes upon them, then those people are to flee. They should not try to stay and fight even. They are to flee and not go back to get the things that belong to them. This reminds us of Lot's wife. Lot's wife, who she, they were told to flee from the city of Sodom because God was about to destroy the city. And yet she turned back because she wanted to see this place her home and she didn't want it to be destroyed. These people will lose all they have and they have to be willing to accept this loss. This is something that we uh, must come to grips with when it comes to our faith is that often our faith necessitates that we lose what we have in order to gain Christ. St. Paul speaks about that he counts all things as rubbish so that he might gain Christ. That he would give up all that he has in order to gain Christ. And maybe we look at him as an extreme example of someone who gave up all things in order to pursue Christ, in order to serve Christ and to preach around the world. But we ourselves are called to sacrifice many things. This is the spiritual fulfillment. What are we willing to sacrifice to be saved? For instance, someone who has an addiction to something, that they have to start cutting things out of their life in order to fight this addiction. For instance, if someone is addicted to pornography, let's say, one way to battle the addiction of pornography is to cut out media. Is to say, you know what, because I want to avoid something that's very bad, I'm going to even avoid things that are not bad in order to completely cut out something that I really, that I really, I'm struggling with. Okay. This is a sacrifice that a person makes. For instance, fasting is a sacrifice that we are in the office on a Friday when all the office parties are, and we are making a sacrifice of not eating the food that is being offered because it is a sacrifice. Because we're saying, no, I'm fasting today. I can't just make, um, you know, make an exception on the days where it is the most inconvenient for me to fast. Actually, those are the days where the fasting is the most beneficial. Because those are truly the days that I sacrifice. Not the days where it's easy for me to fast, but the days that it is hard for me to fast. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we are sacrificing? This loss that Christ is speaking about. He's saying, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to persevere to the end, and you want to endure to the end, you will have to flee to the mountains. You're going to have to flee from your things, your possessions, your comforts. You will have to flee. Because those things... If you go back to them, then those persecutors of yours are going to destroy you. And maybe our persecutors are not physical people today. Our persecutors are our lusts. Our persecutors are our passions, our sins, our temptations. Those persecutors of ours, if we stay and we allow them to to continue to tempt us, then they will destroy us. But we have to flee in the sense that we have to flee our passions. We have to fight against them and not allow them to have control over us. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we li- willing to leave behind for Christ? Are we willing to accept this, that we would lose the things that we have in order to gain Christ? Or are we more comfortable just sticking with what it is that we know and what it is that we have? Another sign of the end that Christ speaks about is that we will experience suffering. In verse 19, Mark 13, 19, he says, For in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time nor ever shall be. So this tribulation, this suffering, we know that there's tribulations in the world now. There's, there's, there's tribulations everywhere. There's suffering everywhere. There's no good news. When you turn on the news, everything is bad news. And you hear about people who are suffering in every kind of way, innocent children, People that do not deserve any kind of pain or suffering. And here Christ is saying that the suffering that will be experienced at the end is going to be worse than any other other suffering that has ever been experienced since the beginning. Since the very beginning. If we can even comprehend how bad the suffering would be. So God is saying what? Prepare for this. Prepare. Why is he telling us this? He's not saying this to us because he wants us to be afraid. He's saying this to us so we can prepare that, that my faith would be so strong such that even if these sufferings would come upon me, that I would not lose my faith, that I would hold steadfast to God. You know, if I cannot endure the trials that God sends my way, well, what if the trials are increased? What if the trials are even more than what I experience today? God sends us trials to prepare us for bigger trials. He sends us something small to prepare us for something bigger. And so these trials, we should not run from them, but we should see them as necessary training for us. That it is we are are learning how to endure so that we can escape from this suffering and and, and tribulation that happens in the end. And again, let's say we do not live to the end of times. Maybe this is something far in the future. But actually this happens to each of us, that we experience suffering. And maybe we experience that as we grow older and older and older, that we find that suffering increases. The things at least we counted on when we were younger, maybe like our physical and bodily health, maybe that itself begins to to deteriorate. And the things that are not just external sufferings, but are also internal sufferings. There are many trials that people experience as they get older, as they get more experienced, as their responsibility increases. You know, when we were young and we have no responsibility, stress was low. There wasn't as many things we had to do. There wasn't many things we were responsible for, and there was less suffering. We were kind of carefree. But as we get older, we get more, ex- more experience, more sufferings, more responsibilities. And God is saying he wants us to remain steadfast to him and seeing him as the, the source of our strength in these situations. He also speaks about antichrists in verses 21 and 22. He says then if anyone says to you look here is the christ or look he is there do not believe it for false christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive if possible even the elect he's saying that these spirits of the Antichrist that are going to come will deceive even the elect even those people who are believers will be deceived even though christ here is telling us do not go after them that they are they are false christs and yet people will still believe Though, like we said, the physical fulfillment of this is the actual coming of the Antichrist. That people will believe in him. People will believe that this person is Christ himself. They will go after him and they will imagine that he is God. But, like we said, there is a spiritual fulfillment. What is the Antichrist of our age? What is the thing that we are going after in our age? The thing we're following. The things we have made ourselves disciples of in our age. For instance, we can say money is an Antichrist. People have made money as the goal of their life. The thing that they desire and seek more than anything. The thing they will sacrifice the most to get. The things that we will sacrifice most of our time to get is money. It has become an antichrist. The pleasures of the flesh has become an antichrist. What do people seek or, or are willing to sacrifice in order to experience the pleasures of flesh or entertainment? These gods lead us away from the true God. These gods lead us away from... The true god just as the antichrist is going to lead us away from the true christ so again there is a spiritual understanding of these prophecies the prophecies are not just for people to be able to look around and discern the signs of when the end will be and write books about when the end of the world will be these prophecies are already being fulfilled in a spiritual way and in a very personal way to me a much more important way actually than when the end of the world will be Whether we know when the end of the world is or not, it it doesn't really matter. What matters is that on the day that I die, this is the day where the end of the world comes for me. And most likely, at least for all people that have lived up until today, the end of the world has already come for them. It is not something that is in the future that matters to them. It's the moment of their death. This is the day of the end of the world. And so all these prophecies apply to us, even if we are not around for the actual second coming. Christ also speaks about the collapse of nature he says but in those days after that tribulation the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light the stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken okay so what how do we understand this well one physical fulfillment and many of the church fathers they believe in a literal collapse there will be literally a collapse of all of these celestial objects demonstrating that the end of the world is coming the sun and the moon will be darkened the stars will fall like everything will be destroyed in the universe okay because there is nothing left of it the the world that we are going to enter in is not a world full of corruption but it is a world full of beauty and and, in the the, this existing world is no longer needed there's also a spiritual understanding that when we read about these um, these lights that are falling from heaven these lights represent people that have become lights to themselves, like stars, people who have become full of pride, who have set themselves up as gods, that they will fall. Because the wisdom of the world elevates and exalts a certain type of people, the very famous people, the powerful people, the rich people, those people who are exalted like stars, that we look up to them and we idolize them, those people will fall, because on that day, everything will be equalized. Those rich that rely on their rich for their identity and for who they are, they will no longer be rich and they will no longer be famous. They will no longer be powerful. And so what do they have left? Whereas a very poor person who believes in God and has faith and lives a faithful life, he will be far higher in the kingdom of heaven than they. So everything is switched when Christ says the first will be last and the last first. This also is the collapse, the collapse of the order, the social order that we live by. And he speaks then about the second coming of Christ, that Christ is going to come again. He says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. So we see actually a real second coming, where Christ is going to come again and judge the world. He's going to judge the world, and this will be the end of the world there's also a spiritual understanding of this too okay even while we are sinners we can accept christ into our hearts and he will come with this great power you know christ here in the second coming he's coming to a corrupted world with great power we also have been corrupted and christ can come to us with great power saint cyril the great he says this he says christ does not come secretly nor in a vague way but as the lord god he comes in glory that is fit for divinity to turn everything to the better renewing the creation and reconstructing the nature of man so when God comes to me he reconstructs me he renews me he changes me he transforms me and so when we ask God to come when we ask Christ to come into our lives he comes to transform he comes to change he's not coming simply because he demands to be worshiped he is coming because he wants to do good he wants to change something inside of me and this also is the spiritual understanding of the second coming finally he gives a commandment to watch he says take heed watch and pray for you do not know when the time is and this is the most important part of this whole passage where he tells us what is it that we have to do if we believe and know all of these things that we have have talked about then he says watch and pray listen watch and pray don't be distracted all these things are going to come and are going to come to our lives, both as humanity as a whole and also for me personally. And because we do not know when the time is, we have to always be prepared. Take heed, watch and pray. So today Christ spoke uh, about the signs of the end of the world. And we talked about how this end of the world has both a physical fulfillment, like an actual fulfillment at the end. And it also has a spiritual fulfillment in each of our lives, even today, before the end comes and that we are being asked by christ to watch so that when these things come upon us we will be ready and god will receive us in glory and glory be to god forever amen